Today we are we are continuing a series called Upside Down Living or Living Upside Down. Uh, about three weeks ago, we start journeying. Uh, we start to take a long. Uh, 30, 36 week journey through the gospel of Matthew covering chapter 5 through 7. In that, we're trying to see how has God called us who, who have been raised from the dead seated with Christ in heaven yet left here on earth how he's called us to live this life upside down because though we are here on earth, the Bible declares in Philippians 3.20 we are citizens in heaven. That this earth is not our home. Uh, so we're learning about this as we travel through the book of, of Matthew. Matthew, uh, if you have your device or your Bibles, please find your way to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew, who is a disciple of Christ, wastes no time uh, 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 telling us who Christ is. His whole point is to prove that Christ is the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. And even in Matthew chapter 1, I mean, I, I, again, 18 chapters, 18 verses and 2, he says that Christ, who was born, who was birthed of a virgin, born in a manger, his name is Emmanuel. But he wastes no time telling his audience who are the Jews that this Messiah that we've been looking for, he's here, and yet he's also God with us. Now, for a Christian, that's key because we believe that God is both fully man and God, able to save us from our sins. 1 John 2, 4 says he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. It's because he is both God and man. He can save man and satisfy God at the same time. We serve a great Savior that, 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 that Matthew is about to open our eyes with. Now, when you find yourself in Matthew chapter 5, if you go back just a few verses, here's the condition of the people. The Bible says the people then are, and these are the Jews, they are sitting in darkness. They are sitting in the land of the dead. But then it says that a great light shines among them. This great light, he enters in and he, he, he brings hope to a dark and desperate situation. This great light we know himself is Christ himself. For Christ said in, Matthew, in, in John chapter 8 verse 12 that he was the light of the world. And those who follow him will not walk in darkness any longer, but will live a life in the light. Christ, who was this great light, also came preaching a great message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Luke 21, 20, he says, hey, 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 this kingdom that I'm preaching about, not only is he at hand, he's in your midst. We know from our studies of the past that Christ is both king and kingdom. One author said that Christ, he embodies both king and, and the kingdom. Uh, uh, he's also the example of God's people and God's place under God's rule. Christ is a bad man. And he comes preaching a great message. 
if you move forward some in, 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 in Matthew chapter 5, uh, from uh, uh, chapter 5 through chapter 7, most have called this the Sermon on the Mount. And he comes proclaiming, he comes teaching about how his disciples are to live and to behave in this kingdom. That the life that he's calling us to is a radical life. It's a life that the world might consider you crazy, but it's a, but it's a life that the Father says, well done. It's a life that is radical for him, by him, for him, and in him. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at just one beatitude today. We, we look at uh, uh, the first one on last week. Today we're going to look at uh, beatitude number two. No, 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 no. Be careful because when we look at the beatitudes, don't think these are, that, this is, that this is a spiritual list of to-dos. No, no. It's a spiritual list of the dones or what's been done by those who God has called into fellowship with Jesus. So please don't make a mistake and look at this list and say, man, what do I have to do? No, rather, man, look at what God has made you in Christ. So in verse 1 of chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and we'll spend our time in verse 4. It says, when he saw the crowds, he, Christ, went up on the, on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And they began to teach him, saying, Blessed are the poor spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs. For blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want to first look at, in this text again, what does it mean to be blessed? Each week of our time over the next six weeks, we're going to pull out a different aspect of what it means to be blessed. Because if Christ himself can say the same word eight times, it must be of some importance. Now, understand this, the answer that, that, that when you hear the word blessed, the one who is blessed is now redeeming the term blessed. He's, he's redeeming, redefining what they thought the word actually meant. So, so to the audience of Matthew, who were the Jews, they thought that blessings equated to material blessings. That because I have stuff and we have the God who has given us these promises with all of these things, they equated being blessed to things. And Christ is about to, is, is about to turn that upside down. That he's going to say that being blessed is not more so material, it's all the more spiritual. That he's redefining for them what it means to be blessed. For the fact, if you have been raised up in God and you have been seated in the heavens with Christ, left down on earth to represent God, you, my sister and brother, are blessed. You, you, you've been raised up by the power of God, now left on earth to live for God by his power and not by your own strength. For that reason, you are blessed. You've been called to show the world how good and how great God really is. You are blessed. But blessed here is based off the happenings of God, not the happenings of man. 
Another word. I'm going to say it. For blessed. And the literal meaning is the word happy. Again, listen, listen, listen now. No. He's about to redefine what happy is. How can he redefine what it is? Because he is, he's the source of happiness. <laughs> See, he's the means of true happiness. Listen to me. True happiness is impossible to experience from not knowing Jesus. If you know Jesus and are in Jesus, you are blessed, my sister and brother. When folk ask you, man, how you doing? Say, I'm blessed in Jesus. See, see, add those two words to it. Because that gives, it points them to where your, where your blessing is. It's in Jesus. I'm happy in Jesus. Not in what I drive. Not in where I live. What I make or my health or my kids. I'm happy. I'm blessed in Jesus. And every son and daughter can say that. It means you are blessed. You are happy in Jesus. Can I add to you why I can say this? If you go back a few thousand years, I'm going to suggest that before Adam and Eve sinned, that they were happy. They were a happy couple. Adam and Eve enjoyed themselves and they enjoyed unhindered worship of God because there was no sin. One author says this, I assert without any hesitation that the salvation described in Scripture is, happy, is a happy thing and not a miserable one. And that if, and that if, <laughs> listen to this, and that if converted persons are not happy, the fault must be in themselves. I am confident that the converted man is the happiest man. Why? He's in Jesus. Amen. If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we can all say with, 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 with conviction, man was created not to mourn. There was no reason to mourn. There was no reason to be sad. Sin had not entered in. So in a real sense, that in Christ we get a chance to experience what Adam and Eve had before sin, though we live in sin. I'm going to get there in a minute, I promise you. One of the greatest Baptist preachers about this said, man was not originally made to mourn. He was made to rejoice. <laughs> the Garden of Eden was a place of happy abode. And as long as he continued in obedience to God, nothing grew in the garden that could cause him sorrow. Think about that. As crazy as it may seem, as though even as if, even though our bodies carry this old sinful nature, though we live in a world that is corrupted by sin, Christians can still experience happiness. In his book called Happiness, 
Randy Alcorn had this small sentence that rocked my world. He says, every Christian who has a direct relationship with the source of all happiness should be happy. This man wrote a whole book on happiness. Try to flesh out why we should be happy in Jesus. Not, not in the world. Not by you. We are not the source of our happiness here. And if that's true, I'm telling you, listen, if, if he's the source of our happiness, he can redefine. See, the world has hijacked the word, saying that we shouldn't be happy. You're right, for some sense. But when our happiness is based off the happenings of God, that is primarily him, 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 putting us in Jesus, now and for eternity, should we not? Be happy. Now, I know, again, because we live in this flesh and we live in a world that is sin-driven, we experience this happy every so often. We experience it when we don't obey God. We experience it when we don't delight in God. But let me give you the secret to being happy. I'm going to give you, yeah, listen, listen, listen. This is worth the price of admission right here. If you want to know the secret to being happy as a Christian, to immediate happiness for the rest of your Christian life, lean in some, it's a secret. I can't, I can't yell it out loud. It's repentance. <laughs> Who in here? has not repented from sin and clung to Jesus and souls not been made happy? Who in here has not turned from that thing that is fleeting and short-lived and turned to an, an eternal God and soul and the soul not be made happy? Whenever we repent, true repentance, we experience the happiness of the kingdom. <laughs> That's why I said before, and I'm going to say every Sunday, every Christian's life should be marked by repentance. If you're not, oh, here's a new thing, if you're not repenting much, you're not experiencing, experiencing much happiness. Ooh, I'm saying that again. Y'all, that was good, though. If you're not repenting often, I'll doubt if you are experiencing his happiness often. He, because when we repent, we, we, we turn from sin and we cleave to love on and we contemplate the goodness of God in Jesus. Jesus is redeeming what it means to be blessed. He's, 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 he's Taking back the word like he took the word slave and he's redeemed it. He's redefined it. And let me say again, he is the source of our happiness and not us or the happenings in this world. Let me move on. That is what is best. Now, who, who are the blessed in this text? It's pretty easy. Blessed are those who mourn. John Stott, a noted author and pastor said that if you had to sum up this 
this beatitude, it would be happy or the unhappy. Oxymoron. Happy or the unhappy. Let me explain. Again, I said last week that if you, that, 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 that the first beatitude, which is to be poor in spirit, that is to be spiritually bankrupt, that is to be broken, that is to come to God with nothing for everything, that if you don't have that down, every other beatitude would fail. So beatitude two is an, is an extension or a more filling of the first beatitude. This this idea of mourning, there are five words in, in our Greek Bible that, that, that is defined by mourning. Of the five words that we see in the Greek language, Christ here uses the, uses the strongest word for what it means to mourn. Mourning is a, is a biblical command. You can mourn, you can grieve in a way that is healthy. The wisest man of his day said this, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And then you have Christ, who is the wisest man to ever live, says, blessed are those who mourn. So my question is, what is the angst of mourning? Like, like what is so important? If you take this word and you look up in, in, in the Old Testament, the same word is found in Genesis chapter 37. It's where Israel, whose name was Jacob, this word that Joseph, his son born in old age, has, has died. He passed away. His, his, the one that he favored the most has passed away. And look at how Israel... Who was then, uh, who was Jacob? Look how he actually responds to the, to to this news. Then Jacob, uh, this is in Genesis thirty-seven, verse twenty-four. She's on the screen. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. He gets word that his oldest, son, that, that, that that his son born in old age. Is dead. And the Bible says he mourns, he aches, he repents for many days. I think we all know how this means. Who in there has lost a loved one, lost a parent, lost a grandparent, a sibling, a friend, a co worker, a peer, a student, whatever? You've lost someone who was really close to you. And, and do you recall? Or can you still recall the pain you experienced? My, my father passed away last year, man, and every once in a while, just with him, me not being able to call him, it still wears on my heart. Because the father who I used to call, I cannot call anymore. So I, I still at times experience this this morning. But my question is, what are we to mourn over? That's the question. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the unhappy. Man, what, what is he really getting at? Because this is a spiritual thing. It cannot be nothing natural. 
Remember, he is talking about those who live in the kingdom, those who, who, who are citizens of heaven, raised up from the grave. Now with Christ in heaven, positionally, we're chilling. Right now, our, our home is heaven. So what does it mean to mourn? Let me submit to you one verse. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 30 and 31. It says this, and do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. The same word, you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with our malice. Look, look what he's saying. If you have been raised up from the dead, seated with heaven, seated with, in the heavens in Christ, and you are a child of the king called to represent God your father, what should mourn you is sin. How? How? I've given you my, I gave you my spirit at salvation to feel what I feel, to love what I love. That in Christ, we have the ability to mourn the very things that God himself mourns. And what mourns God the most is sin. And I will prove that to you in a minute. This, this word morning, this, 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 this morning, it springs from a sense of a tender conscience. That is, a broken heart. It is a godly sorrow produced by our rebellion towards God and hostility towards his will. In the greatest sense... Every child, in, uh, every child of God should mourn because you know it was your sins that put our Savior on the cross. When was the last time you mourned over your sins? It was your sins that, that nailed him. He was a sinless Savior that died for sinful people. How often do we look to the cross and are broken over our sins that hung our Savior on the cross. When was the last time you cried over the gospel? When was the last time you heard the good news of Christ made to break? But even in that, if we know we should mourn, that should bring us to the point of repentance. We can still experience happiness. Let me give you three, three categories of sins that I think that we biblically should mourn over. I'm going to run through these swiftly, so please catch it. Number one, we should mourn over our own sin. Look what James 4, 8, 4, uh, 4, 8 through 10 says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy be turned into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Whenever we mourn over our sins, y'all listen to me, we, we become humble and moldable before God. Imagine you been here and God been there, but you're in the house, you're saved. But when we sin, fellowship is distorted. Our fellowship, not our relationship, our fellowship is hindered. 
So when you say, bam, you go there, he's there. Just, just y'all, just bear with me. And whenever you sin, you go over here. But what he's saying is this, that whenever you repent of your sins and you turn to me, I, he says, I draw near to you. But if you want to be near to God, he's saying, listen, here is the key. Mourn, be miserable and mourn and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning, your joy into gloom. Will you please mourn? Will you please ache over your sin when you sin against me? Every child of God should mourn and should mourn over their sins. But our mourning should lead to mortifying our sins. Like to mourn is to put to death our sins. If you are mourning over your sins but not putting to death your sins, I doubt you're mourning. Like, if you're still, like, if you're mourning over sin and you're still going over to homeboy's house late nights, you're wrong. If you're still going to that club and, and, and you know, and, and you know, you're wrong. If you're going to that computer late nights, far away, and you're not mourning, putting to death the sin that causes you to sin against God, are you really mourning? John Owen says this, do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at, the, at, uh, be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We kill sin by contemplating a good Savior. And the more we focus on Jesus, listen to this, the better he becomes and then the more bitter sin is. We should not only mourn over our own sins, we should mourn also over the sin of others. Look what it says here in 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you. And the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Y'all, this is in the Bible. This is the Bible. This man is sleeping with his daddy's wife. Verse 2, and you are arrogant, he says. Should not you be filled with grief? There it is, that word mourn. Shouldn't you be filled with mourning? and remove from your congregation the one who did this? He said, this dude is creating such an act that even the, those who don't know God wouldn't even do this, and you guys have done nothing about it. He's equating our inability to confront sin of those who are sinning as pride and arrogance. We all know somebody who is sinning, who is living in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. The Bible says if you refuse to go to that brother spiritually and in meekness and, and, and you fail to have a desire to restore that sister or brother, you are acting in arrogance, pride. You can't be proud and mourn over sin at the same time. 
There are people we know who are living, who claim Christ as Savior, and we know they're living in sin, and we won't even talk to them about it. That's arrogance. But we'll never do this. We will constantly minimize and ignore sin if, number one, we don't take sin serious and mourn ourselves, or, number two, we get over the fear of man, even if, it's, even if I lose this relationship with this person, it's worth it. Even if they stop talking to me, won't call me, stop supporting me, it's worth it. We all go on an airplane, right? And y'all know on, on an airplane, we pay these attendants no mind. They get up there and they go through this, uh, this litany of the flights. Put on seat belts, things go wrong, something will drop down, here are the exit signs, and we are paying them no mind. They even have the nerve to say, invent this plane fall on the ocean, use your seat as a floating device. They miss me right there. I'm going to find the nearest person that I think is will. And I'm going to tell this person, hey, man, it's you and me together. Either you can do it willingly or by force, but you are taking me to land with you. I am not going to grab no seat and start floating on it. I will sink. Look at me. I'm not gonna do that. But 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 in this but in this flight, y'all know they get to a critical point where they say this. If the cabin loses air pressure, an oxygen mask will drop from the compartment above. If someone seated next to you is having trouble putting on their oxygen mask, put yours on second. No, put yours on first. And then help your neighbor. When you think about it, this really makes good sense. Paul is using the same reasoning. If we well mourn, if we mourn well over our sins, then we're able to help those who are struggling in their sins. But we got to first mourn first over our own sin. Don't come trying to mourn over my sin and you still tripping. Okay, 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 okay. So, so mourn over your own sin, sin of others, and then y'all last. Long, long, uh, mourn over the sin of our nations. Look at Luke 19. And as Jesus approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day what would bring a peace, but, not, uh, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time that God in Christ visited them. Jesus, he saw the city in the light of refusing Salvation granted through him. He foresaw it that, that when it was visited, and it would be, the judgment that would come upon the city. And the Bible says he wept. Are you mourning over the cities 
of our, over the sins of our city, our community, our nation. In November of 2016, Omni was in the, Omni was in the, in the beginnings of starting uh, this church plant. And in November of 16, Trump had been elected as president. Now, we are a multi-ethnic ministry. And so when Trump, and we all know who is white, got elected over Hillary, who's white, African-Americans and our minorities most felt like the life had been set back some 50 years. Now, I'm not saying that voting for Hillary or Trump is a sin. Both are sinners and terrible saviors. But because of the angst that we know of the past of Trump, with Omni, rather than, rather than doing what was normal, had a family discussion about the feelings of some. There was some in the room literally mourning that Trump had got elected. But not only was there a mourning over his election, there was a mourning over abortion. See, many of us were concerned about life outside the womb and not life inside the womb. So talks of abortion came up. Racism came up. Because people were generally concerned about life both in and outside the womb. But Omni and the family had a talk and we discussed. And what we experienced in that time was people weeping over sins of the nation. Look at our country. Racism. Classism. Poverty. I mean, you can go on and on. How we treat and judge homosexuals within the church. But the sins are not just in the world, they're also in the church. So we come to a place where we're supposed to name God who loves all, yet we, the church, is still divided over race and class, education, backgrounds, sins. Like, when was the last time you wept that the church is still the most segregated? place at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. When was the last time you cried? You ate. You pain over that. See, man, what have you? Christ, the Bible says, he wept over, over a nation or of a city who hadn't experienced his salvation. Are we weeping over how we judge and not love homosexuals to the church? You can be a liar and serve as an elder, but you can't be struggling with being a homosexual and lead the church. In God's eyes, can I ask you what's the difference? We are the most hypocritical people there are. The church. Because we don't mourn over our sin. We understand what, what is happy. We understand now who, who are those who are blessed. Now, what was the cause of them being blessed? Was it that they mourned? No. 
their mourning was not, was not the source of their blessedness in this text. The source of their blessedness was also the promise of the text. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Another word for comforted is encouraged. And it says, and they will be, whereas it says in the first attitude, there's ills. Here is future tense, but it's actually future present tense. That means this. If you are a Christian and you've made Christ your Lord and Savior, Christ says uh, in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter to be with you always. So if you are a Christian now, and, you've claimed, and, you, and you claim Christ as Savior. You now possess God himself. The God of comfort now lives inside of you. You are the temple of the holy God. All of God lives, not some of God, all of God lives inside of you. Okay? So he's able to comfort you now. Like, like the God of Comfort is able to encourage you now whenever you mourn over sin. But also, there's a future sense of the term. In Revelations 21 verse 4, it says this, And he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, the same word for mourn. Crying and pain will be no more. That when the new earth and the new heavens come down, what won't come down with it is mourning. He's going to reestablish the kingdom and even make it better than what Adam and Eve experienced. Blessed. And what's the key in all this? The greatest comfort in any Christian Mourning over sin is the eternal and ever-present presence of God now. Like, if you need something else outside of God to bring you comfort, I question if you're mourning correctly. The greatest comfort for a mourning Christian is God lives inside of us. And since that is true, we need nothing or no one else. We should now be waiting with great anticipation for his return to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we love you for this day. We celebrate you and your work. Thank you, God, for fleshing God in us, God, that what it, what it means to be blessed. And every Christian is blessed because our source of blessedness is Christ. But, God, let me stop here for a moment. There is maybe somebody here saying, man, I don't agree with that. Now, what I am not saying that people on earth cannot be glee or glad. But there is this true happiness. There is this, there is this happiness that, is, that, that, that digs from a well that's out of this world. There's a happiness that we experience that no one in this, that Oprah can, can experience, Bill Gates can experience. Those who do not know Christ can experience this true happiness that we as sons and daughters of God experience because we know the true source of happiness. That's what I'm saying. And listen, you can know about honey, but until you taste it, it's different.
We believe that Jesus mourned so deeply that he came on earth. He lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years. He moved from life to the cross and from cross to the depth of the earth and from the depth of the earth to heaven just to ensure our salvation. See, a mourning over sin should lead us to a loving of Jesus. So if you're in the room and you have not mourned, you have not repented of your sin, right now is a great time to do that. Man, and when you mourn over your sin and you repent of your sin, there is this, this sweetness, this, 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 this tangible, spiritual goodness that you experience in Christ, in Christ alone. So if you have not done that in the room, and now is a good time for you to, to, to receive that, to accept what it truly means to be best. Whereas you can be, whereas this happens, it, just, it, it starts now and lasts through eternity. If you haven't done so, man, all you have to do is come to the end of yourself. Tell God, I realize that I am a sinner in need of a great Savior. Will you now please save me?